This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. Would you like to learn sales strategies from someone who successfully grew and led sales in public companies? Keep listening. In this episode, you will learn from the former general manager and founder of Wayfair's B2B division. My guest is Joel Stevenson, the CEO of Yesware. He served as managing director of Wayfair UK, where he drove the growth of the company's international presence, then served as vice president of financial planning and analysis while Wayfair was transitioning to a public company. Before we dive into the episode, are you struggling to connect with your audience? If so, you may have a messaging problem. The PR University can help you fix that. If content is king, strategic positioning is queen. Getting your messaging to your desired audience is key. If you are an entrepreneur, author, speaker, subject matter expert, influencer, or business leader, the PR University might be right for you. Visit the PRUniversity.com to learn more and enter the code WTF25 to get 25% off. Joel, welcome to the WTF Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Walk me through your sales and leadership journey up till this point. We could probably pick things up at Wayfair, where I was about there for about seven and a half years. And I did a bunch of different jobs there. This was an entrepreneurship versus entrepreneurship thing, but I had started a group selling to designers and contractors and builders that later became generally B2B and now it's what's now called Wayfair Professional. And we did the startup versions of that, got things to work, I ended up taking a couple of different jobs. And I came back to it when it was about a $100 million business inside of Wayfair. And then we grew it to about 400 something million over the next couple of years. Then I left. Wayfair was just getting a little bit too big for me. That's continued to grow. I think now it's over one and a half in revenue is what they've, is what they've said publicly. But I wanted to do something earlier stage again. And Yesware was a company where that I happen to know because we had an investor in common between Wayfair and Yesware. And part of the way that we grew sales so dramatically inside of that business unit in such a short period of time was we spent a lot of time applying technology to sales productivity. And so I got interested in the space. And so the ability to then go switch sides of the table from a buyer of the tech to a seller of the tech and be able to stay in Boston with a company that I was familiar with was, was a great opportunity. You said Wayfair with that unit was getting a little bit too big. Are you the kind of guy who likes to get in on things on the ground floor and help them grow? And when they get a little bit too big, you need to go on to another adventure. Yeah, I think that's what I've learned over time. I've been fortunate that I've been able to work at a variety of companies in different industries at different sizes and stages. And I think what I've found is the earlier stages is more interesting to me, whether that's starting something, something from scratch or being part of that scale-up process. Eventually, companies get very large and it becomes more about protecting the thing that you have versus growing new things. I think that's the point at which in my view, a lot of the risk averse people start to show up that I don't get along with as well. And so I, I realized it's been time for me to go. 
Actually, that's a good setting for this conversation because who I speak to the most on this podcast are entrepreneurs. So what are the fundamentals of sales and growth marketing that every entrepreneur should understand? Yeah, I think the first place to start is maybe just understanding that there are an infinite number of sales and marketing tactics that you could employ to grow your business. I like to start from a place of understanding how much money you're going to make from a customer, how much profit you're going to make from a customer, and how long you're willing to wait before we measure that or collect it. Maybe I'll give you a couple of examples. Let's say you're up, you run an e-commerce business and you're selling outdoor furniture. Maybe you sell nice teak dining sets. You sell one for $2,000. Maybe you make four or $500 on that. And that you're probably done with that customer. And maybe you can sell them pillows or you could sell them tiki torches or something like that. But it's, it's probably mostly a, a one-time non-recurring transaction. And so you would think about it as, let's say we're going to earn $400 and we're probably going to know whether we've earned that $400 in the first 30 days. And so that's how we should think about our payback or our lifetime value versus enterprise selling. You might say, we're going to do a recurring deal with a company that's going to produce $200,000 a year. And we expect that once we sign that that customer is going to be with us for a decade. And so you might be willing for that to pay back. And so what that will dial in is how much you can afford to spend to acquire a customer relative to value, I think it's sometimes a little deceiving. I think it's what your payback window is. Once you understand that, then you can start to look at what are going to be the best tactics and procedures that that I can adopt in my business to maximize that CAG. If you can only spend $100, you're probably going to be in mostly organic marketing and maybe a little bit of SEM. If you can spend more, then additional tactics open up with sales and other types of things. So You did mention that there are an infinite number of different strategies that you can use. Let's say you're early in your entrepreneurship journey and marketing dollars are few. How do you wade through which ones might be the best for you at that stage? You did mention if money is short, then more organic marketing tactics. How do you then figure, okay, what can I do at this stage? Yeah, I think that most entrepreneurs start businesses because they're excited about something or they have passion about something or they happen to be particularly knowledgeable about something. And so to me, a good place to start is by getting content out there and whether that's content on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram, or you're writing long form articles on your website that you're or on your blog that you're trying to get SEO traffic to, showing up at conferences and you're, t- and you're just talking to people about stuff that you've been researching that you understand and that you're excited about. I find that's quite a good way to begin. And then if you can you get people interested, then in the early days, you can do tactics that maybe aren't quite as scalable over the long term. Like as the founder, you you probably, if if it's any sort of a business selling process, you're probably the one that has to do that. And so you can employ tools like Yesware. There are are many other tools like that to make your individual selling process as productive as it can be. And so that you have time to actually go reach a large number of people individually as as yourself. Eventually, you want to scale that to a sales leader or a sales team, et cetera. But in the early days, I think get a lot of traction by just simply getting yourself out there about what you're thinking about and what you're doing. And if you're if you're onto something and you're writing good quality content, I think people will find you and then it's up to you to take that interest and convert it into some sustainable business opportunity. What would you say are the key points that entrepreneurs leading consumer products and goods companies 
know that will allow them to expand their sales reach? Maybe it could be something like, yes, we're, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this goes back a little bit to conversation earlier about how much can you afford to spend. The, what we tend to see in, if we started from the business selling aspect for a moment, is that we tend to see different sales models at different levels. So if you are a business that you know, you're going to collect, say, $25,000 on average from a customer, like you start to be able to do more aggressive outbound selling. You might have multiple people involved in the selling process. Less than maybe 5000 to 25000 it might be mostly in, in inbound or inside sales and more of an inbound inquiry type of motion. And then less than that, it like, might be more of a product-led motion. And what we see in consumer goods is on the higher end, you actually can use some more sales tactics. I would say if you can be very efficient with your selling process, if you can make, say... I think probably the bottom end is maybe $250 a year from a customer. And you can use a tool like a Yesware to run an individual selling process if you're smart about setting up templates and setting up campaigns and calendar links and all these things. So we've referenced and mentioned Yesware. For the listeners who might not be familiar with what Yesware is, can you explain? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mention that. Yesware is a sales productivity tool. We integrate very deeply into the inbox. So whether it's Gmail or Outlook, and what we do is we help you understand how your messages are resonating out in the world. So we'll do things like let you know when emails are open. We'll let you know if you set up templates, which templates work better than other templates. And then you can set up series of communications that would say, for example, I'm going to send this email. If I don't hear from this person, I'm going to send this other email. If I don't hear from this person, I'm going to call them. If I don't hear from this person, I'm going to send them a LinkedIn invite. And so you can string together automations, if you will, that allow you to reach many more people than you could if you were doing everything just uh, in a very bespoke one-by-one way. So it's basically a feedback loop for your sales and marketing strategies. Yeah, that's right. I think of it as very similar to marketing concepts is applied that have been used for many years is applied to sales. So a lot of entrepreneurs are familiar with tools like Constant Contact or MailChimp. And so if you were to set up MailChimp campaign, you're probably going to do some A-B testing and say, okay, does this subject line work better than that subject line? Are people just opening the email and not clicking? Or are the people that are clicking going to a landing page and then doing something? That, so that that's all about the company talking to a bunch of individuals. And this is very similar, but in this case, it's the salesperson or the founder talking to a bunch of individuals. And so now it's your personal communications that we're templatizing and testing. And you as an individual can learn a lot from that, but then it can also be powerful in the context of a sales team, where if you have many people that are selling, if one seller starts to figure out, oh, we get a better response when we do this, or Immediately after doing a discovery call, when we send the white paper, we have a better chance of making it into the demo stage, et cetera. That then gets shared with the rest of the sales team. Now the whole rest of the sales team is more productive because one person figured something out. And that insight is backed by data that's generated from watching how these messages actually perform. I'm speaking with Joel Stevenson, CEO of Yesware. Joel, what would you say are some leadership strategies and advice that you would like to share with entrepreneurs about leading growth in their business? From my experience in being in a couple of very rapidly scaling organizations, there's a couple of things. And I think the first thing really comes down to, do you have the data that you need to 
make the decisions required to scale growth. You're, for example, you're always going to hit a bottleneck somewhere. And it doesn't matter. It might be that your bottleneck is you don't have enough leads at the top of the funnel. Your bottleneck might be that you don't convert leads well enough. Your bottleneck might be that after you convert the leads, you can't retain the leads. Your bottleneck might be that Facebook is an awesome channel for you, but you can't get another one to work. Somewhere there's a bottleneck. There, There always is. And a very important part of being able to scale is to identify where is the bottleneck and how am I gonna how am I gonna fix that? It's very difficult to do without data. One of the things that I think is sometimes happens with entrepreneurs, there's a yin and a yang to everything, right? It takes an incredible amount of of bravery to stage to, to start a business. And as a result, people that tend to start businesses, and my old executive coach Jerry Colonna sometimes refers to it as pathological optimism. You need that, and that's a great quality to have. But the flip side of it is sometimes you get the rose-colored glasses on and you don't really see or deal with reality. In a scaling company where things are breaking all the time, new stuff is happening, like you really have to deal with reality. And you may have this great thing today, but it's, oh, we just had this one ad campaign on Facebook that's freaking killing it, and it was a bit of a fluke. And you think now that you're going to replicate that across all these channels, but you haven't really dug into the detail to know why that is and have sort of a a disciplined strategy of taking that and applying it to other places, that tends to not end well. So I I think the biggest thing is set up a system whereby you can get the data that you need to make the decisions and then confront reality and don't be afraid of that because the stuff goes bad all the time and it constantly breaks. It's just... Yeah, I agree. Data is king in decision-making. And if you don't have the data to back your decisions, then you're just flying blindly. Yeah, right. throwing stuff at the wall and hoping that it'll stick. What are the five most important things that you learned from your career in marketing and sales that early stage entrepreneurs leading a company should understand about how to successfully manage growth? I think you first want to avoid when you're first starting out is what I call unforced errors. In sales and marketing, the early days, you really want to avoid the unforced errors. And unforced errors could be things like you didn't follow up with somebody. You just you got too busy and you let a bunch of things slide. You didn't prepare for a meeting the right way or a call the right way. You didn't follow up with a customer afterwards. You didn't have enough background information about that customer to ask. Those are all things like you you should be able to control. Yeah. Number two is eventually as a founder, you have to pass the baton from you as the founder to somebody else. And so you could, sometimes it's referred to Matt Blumberg, who was on my show one time, talks about this. You start with whiteboard selling, and then you go to PowerPoint selling, and then eventually you go to PDF selling. And so if you're in the type of business where there's a sales process, you have to figure it out as a founder, and then you have to teach somebody else. And so that first sales hire is a really critical one. And the first sales hire is the missionary that can take what you've done and now figure out how to replicate it in the world. It isn't necessarily your forever sales leader, but it's that first market, is that first sales leader that uh, that can really take what you've done almost through through intuition and grid and whatever and then start to to replicate that number three get the data get your data and analytics house in order so that you can see what's going on and you can test and iterate and improve that to me is critical number four is once you have that you got to do a lot of experiments most of the things that you're gonna do are not gonna work it's imperative that you give yourself as many opportunities as you can for something to work and not get discouraged when things don't because the majority of things don't. And then the last one, which somewhat pains me to say, I I think, I think we're still in a world where 
what I'll call smart volume pays off. And so if you talk to people that have really big social media presences, what they'll basically say is you got to post more. The reason you don't have enough followers is because you're not posting enough. And I've heard this enough times and, it, and we see a sort of a similar thing on the sales side as it relates to email is that if you're not getting the type of responses you want, you probably need to email more up to a point. You can definitely spam the world and then that hurts deliverability, that hurts your message. But in many cases, the right answer is to do more. That seems simple enough and quite direct. Do more. After you've gone through the whole list and you've done the experimentation and you've gotten the data and all of that, do more. Sounds like solid advice. How does Yesware help businesses create sales productivity? And no touched on this. Yeah, there, there's a couple aspects to it. The first aspect is sales is hard enough as it is. And as a salesperson, the, the thing that's important to me in the craft of, can you understand somebody else's issues? And can you find a way to explain how your product or service helps that person solve their issues are? And that really comes down to asking good questions and really caring about the business and the person and then being able to translate that. So, so for Yesware, the first thing that people start using Yesware do is ideally they'll start saving time. So they'll start saving time by not writing the same email twice. They'll start saving time by being able to put a bunch of people into a campaign that they can then customize per individual. But a lot of the scaffolding is there and they don't have to worry about hitting send on the email and being reminded to follow up, those types of things. And if you have a CRM like Salesforce, we take all that activity that you're generating and we passively sync it into Salesforce. So you don't have to do that. So that to me is the foundational element. So you can send out a calendar link and so people can see your calendar and book you right away versus you having to go back and forth with somebody on scheduling. The second part of it is then measuring what you're doing so you can get better. As I experiment with subject lines, which one works better? If I send out this attachment, do people actually look at it? And if they do look at it, what pages are they looking at? Are they looking at the important pages? Or are they looking at the pages that, that don't matter? Which sales campaigns are leading to actual meetings? Versus, versus others. So pushing yourself further and further down the outcome funnel, if you will, is part two. And then part three is if you're in a team, then getting good knowledge sharing and best practices sharing based on the data that, that either individuals or sales managers are figuring out a powerful way to scale a sales organization. We've had quite a few companies that have started with us from early days that are now public companies that have used that playbook to scale, to scale their teams. Can you mention the names of any of those companies? Yelp comes to mind. Twitter was a comp was a customer through many years. Uh, Flywire, Cloudflare. There's a lot of them. You mentioned something that I wanted. I want to get back to when you talk about asking good questions or the right questions to really get to uncover how your product or service solves that problem for the customer. What are some key strategies for asking those right questions? I generally tell people to go read Neil Rackham's Spin Selling if they haven't read that one. It was based on a lot of rigorous research in the field. And that's just been a tried and true method for me. I've heard a lot of people onto that. There, there are other methodologies that are similar, that apply similar concepts. There's one called that we've used called Selling Through Curiosity, which isolates a lot of that in the name. A good part of asking good questions is just like actually being curious and caring. And 
part of that is is understanding what you're doing and caring about the business and just having a curious and inquisitive mindset. The other thing that's maybe worth mentioning is listening more than you're talking. We have the stereotype that salespeople do all the talking, but I think the reality is the effective salespeople are the exact opposite. You do most of the listening and you ask the appropriate hard-hitting questions at the right time. And all that time that you're spent active listening, you're processing and you're figuring out what's the next right question that's going to either fill in part of the puzzle that I don't have or will lead the prospect to the place where I'm trying to take them. Yeah, I think for entrepreneurs, especially those at the earlier stages, the selling through curiosity and the listening more than you talk are probably really great strategies as they're getting to understand their market better. And those strategies can really serve them well. Yeah, that's right. Do you have any book recommendations on marketing that you'd like to share? Book recommendations on marketing. I, I'll give you an off, I'll give you an offbeat one which is not a marketing book. It's an operations book, but it's called The Goal by Eli Goldratt. And that to me is a great marketing book because it talks a lot about the concepts we were discussing earlier about bottlenecks. And every every marketing funnel and sales funnel that I've ever seen has a bottleneck somewhere. And if you can identify those and remove those, that's a good one. And there's, there's a million other books about brand marketing and how to build channels and tactics. There's a blog that I like, Occam's Razor by Avinash uh, Kaushik, which I've always found to be quite interesting. But I would tell people that haven't read the goal to go pick up that goal. That's another one at 30 or 40 years old that sort of stood the test of time. No, I think the things that are old and have stood the test of time are the things that we really should be going back to where it's not based on a fad, it's tried and true. And you can pick it up at different stages many years later and it still works. Any last words that you would like to leave the listeners with as we get ready to wrap up? As it relates to Yesware or where to find you or follow Yesware? You can find us at uh, yesware.com and we've been writing sales content for many years and it's all free. So you can find that at our blog, yesware.com slash blog. You can, we have a free tier of Yesware you can use forever. And so if you just want to get started with no commitments, you can sign up for, for a free trial, which then converts into a premium tier at yesware.com. If you want to learn more about specific sales talk tactics. I run a podcast called The Hard Sell, which has a lot of entrepreneurial topics around selling. It's what I'm interested in. Give that a listen. Joel, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. To my listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by rating, reviewing, and sharing with three friends. Sharing is caring, so be generous with your friends. Subscribe to the podcast at its home on the Alive Podcast Network and follow the podcast to get notified when new episodes drop. To be a guest or sponsor the podcast, email me at wheresthefunding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at wheresthefunding underscore podcast. Follow the podcast on LinkedIn and me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie. See you next Friday for another episode.